But you know I'm a big fan of enjoying life while still being smart financially. That's why I love ButcherBox. I can get a variety of high-quality meat, seafood, chicken, and pork at an amazing value, all with exclusive member deals delivered to my door with free shipping always. One thing I just never wanted to cut out of my spending plan is eating good food. And with ButcherBox, I don't have to, and neither do you. Where else can you get free protein for a whole year? Yes, you heard that right. One of my favorite go-to dinners is a salmon bowl. I'm not even a huge salmon lover, but ButcherBox's wild-caught salmon is oh so good. I make a nice little marinade, saute some veggies, cook the salmon, and throw in some weiss. And it is an amazing dinner. If you want to take less trips to the grocery store and always have prepared meat in the freezer for a lot less money, you need ButcherBox in your life. Sign up at butcherbox.com etm and get our special deal. ButcherBox is offering our listeners a free for a year offer plus an additional $20 off. You can choose salmon, chicken breast, or steak tips free in every order for a year. Sign up today at butcherbox.com etm. When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. When I'm looking to upgrade my wallet, I turn to NerdWallet. Their expert team of nerds dives into the details to help you find smarter financial products. Before NerdWallet, I was paying for vacations all wrong. <laughs> I was missing out on miles. I didn't even know I was leaving on the table. Now I've got a new card with more miles and more upgrades. What could future you do with more travel rewards? I don't know, maybe that fancy hotel upgrade that you have always been dreaming about. Wherever you go next, make it happen with a smarter travel credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Nerdwallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. So if you currently think I'm bad with money and I spend too much of it and I'm bad and I'm going to get in trouble, telling yourself like I'm a financial genius is not going to do anything and you don't believe it and you don't believe you're good with money. You're not anywhere near there yet. So you really have to practice something. And I, in the book, I, I walk you through how to come up with your own versions of these, but it's like what I call a ladder thought or a neutral thought. It's like a little bitty thought. It's like maybe buying a sweater doesn't determine if I'm good or bad with money my whole life. Hey, welcome to Everyone's Talking Money. I am your host, Shauna Game, and this is the podcast where we do things a little bit differently. I am inviting you in to opt out of all of the negative self-talk and thinking about money so you can step into a life you want to live, hopefully with a lot less stress and a lot more ease. I am so excited about this episode. Okay, without thinking, I want you to tell me your first thought that comes to mind about money. My guess is that thought probably isn't super positive, and that is not your fault. You see, your brain is always driving what you're feeling and how you're acting, and it's also where all the programming you get from society and your family is stored especially when it comes to money. This all goes into your brain and then your brain comes up with its own idea about money. So you have to learn how to rewire your thoughts about money. 
And the reason that you don't change it isn't because you don't want to. Instead, your wiring about money and your thoughts about money, they are keeping you stuck. So I want you to meet Kara Lowenthal. You might know her as the host of the top-rated podcast on Fuck Your Brain. She is a JD, a master certified coach, the creator of The Clutch, and author of the soon-to-be-released book, Take Back Your Brain. In this episode, we talk practically about how to rewire your money mindset, how to think better thoughts when it comes to your money, like getting rid of the need to hide all of the stuff that you buy. It's just not important to do that. With something Kara calls the thought ladder. And something I also know you're going to love to hear more about is how to get out of the scarcity mindset that we all seem to be operating in. This episode is such a great way to kick off the new year. All right, I'll let Kara take it from here. Let's start talking. So I've been looking forward to this conversation for a while now. You and I both, we share a very similar message, helping people unfuck their lives and Although we might be talking about different topics, I think we both agree that your brain is really what needs the unfucking, right? Whether we're talking about money or career or relationships or whatever it might be, right? The brain is the thing that gets in the way there. Tell us more about this. Like, why does our brain need to be unfucked? <laughs> um, yes, I 100% agree. I think your your brain is always what's driving the way that you're feeling and acting in your life, right? Your brain is like perceiving everything in the world, coming up with the meaning for it, coming up with a story. And your brain is where all of the programming you get from society is stored. So money is like that perfect example, right? You obviously people have such different ideas about money. And it depends a lot on what did you learn growing up, right? Both what did you hear from society, which might be somewhat similar for all of us, but then like, how did your family talk about money? How did your religion talk about money? How did your school? What did your what were your friends like, right? There's so much programming. So all of that goes into your brain and then your brain comes up with your own thoughts about money. So everything has to start in the brain because that's where all of our ideas and beliefs about the world come from and show up. And like relationships is another great example. You're obviously going to show up really differently if your basic thought is like, relationships are easy and fun and I'm a lovable person and I can't wait to interact with people. Like that's a very different, you may not think that consciously, but that's, you know, your subconscious thoughts. It's very different than if you think people are usually out to cheat you or trick you and you can't trust anyone and most people are bad, right? You're going to like, obviously have a very different experience. So we really have to start with your premises that influence how you show up in the world. And I feel like it's the I don't know, like the secret ingredient to, you know, the overall recipe of life, if you will, because when I was a practicing certified financial planner and I would help people, you know, they would pay me a lot of money to create a financial plan and then nothing would change. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it took a couple of times before I was like, okay, wait a minute, like this is ridiculous. <laughs> the plan you know? is not making this happen somehow. There's another the, factor. Yeah, the <laughs> the plan is not working, you know, and, and then that made me look at the industry from just, you know, wider view and really think about how does relationship with money um, impact, you know, your ability to create change. And then, you know, obviously taking that a step further, like thinking about your brain and, and the role your brain plays. And I feel like it's crazy because uh, most money experts don't talk about this piece of it. And it to me, it's like, it's the biggest piece. And I, I've been reading and researching a lot because I'm writing a book on this. And I, there was this analogy used by Mel Robbins. And 
she talks about this idea that our brain is either like on autopilot, right, which is the, the comfy place our brain likes to be, or it's like on emergency break mode where that's just like freak out mode. Mm-hmm. Our brain wants to come back to this comfy place. And, you know, I'm thinking about it in terms of like making changes. And I, you know, I see this with with people and their money goals. So, you know, I, how do we create change? It's like we want something different, whether it's our money, our relationships, our career, whatever it might be. But like there isn't a force that comes in there that helps us you know, move to that place of change. Yeah, I think we have to learn how to actually rewire the way we think. So your story is totally on point, right? It's the same with anything. You can download a million plans for what to do with your finances. You can download a million exercise routines. You can like all the all the human know-how in the world is on the internet. Like you can find out <laughs> how to do anything, but most people still don't do it. And the reason that we don't do it is because of the way that we think. So this is something that I dive um, into really deep in my book, Take Back Your Brain, which is all, which is this sort of a two-step process. Number one, you have to become aware of what you're thinking. Most people don't know what they're thinking, right? About money, about relationships, about anything, because it's not, we're not, I mean, sometimes with money, we did, somebody did sit us down and be like, here's how money works. Some people's parents do that. But a lot of the time, they, very, very few. few. <laughs> and you still absorb stuff subconsciously. They might say one thing, but act a different way. And your brain picks up on all of that. So you have all of this kind of unconscious or subconscious thinking you don't even know you have. So you have to become aware of it. And then you have to literally change the way you think, which is something I spent a lot of time on in my book. Because when I came into the like self-development and coaching world, there were sort of two big things I thought were missing. One was the actual how. It's like I can watch a million videos on mindset, but where is there a magic wand? Is it a powder? Like, how do I make my brain change? And it took me a shit ton of trial and error to really work out, like, what is the literal concrete step I have to take to get my brain to think a different thought? So I go really deep in that in the in the book and take back your brain. The other thing that I felt like was missing was the gender differences in socialization and how people think. So if you're a woman listening to this, even if your parents gave you a great financial education and every, right, you absorbed all these messages from society about women and money, which are like, we don't understand it. We're irresponsible. We're flighty. We want to spend it all on shopping. Women just need to budget and be thrifty and save and hope a man will give you money. Like there's so much nonsense out there. And you may not, like I identified as a feminist and I wouldn't have said that I believed that stuff. But when I started digging into my actual thoughts about money because I became an entrepreneur and then I had to do that. There was a lot of shit in there that I didn't really know that I believed and then I had to change it. So I think it's becoming aware of it and changing it. But that sounds easy. You have to really know how to do that specifically. I like that you um, you talk about that. You know, I'm doing a lot of my own evaluation over the years of the messages from my childhood. And I, you know, can specifically remember, I think so many of us, and particularly us women kind of share a version of the story where you um, went out with your mom and you bought something and it was like, you know, just don't tell your dad, you know, or like sneak it in before your dad sees it. And you don't really think a whole lot of something like that when you're young. You're just like, okay, well, this is what we do. Like, obviously, there's some reason right. dad cannot know <laughs> that what I got brought. a sweater. This is top yeah, the, I got a <laughs> exactly. But then when you get to be an adult, you start doing a lot of the same things. And, and like you say, it's just it's just this autopilot. Like, how do we 
how do we get in there and, you know, start changing some of those autopilot behaviors that we have? Yeah. So we always have to go back to like, what's the thought driving this, right? So if like, if your autopilot behavior is that you hide your shopping from your partner, right, that you have to get really curious about like, what is the thought driving that? So you may have absorbed, you like, you may have seen your mom do it. There's still now a thought in your brain, right? Like, is the thought, I'll get in trouble if he knows that I spent this or I shouldn't be spending this. I'm not supposed to be shopping or I spend too much money and I'm embarrassed about it. So I hide it from him or her, right? Whatever it is, we have to really figure out like, what is your specific thought? And then we have to work on changing it. So in the book and Take Back Your Brain, I talk about what I call the thought ladder, which is this exercise that helps you literally figure out, okay, right now I believe I'll get in trouble if my partner knows that I bought a sweater. It's not rational because often what happens when we get to awareness is like, we're like, well, that's silly and illogical. And then we think that that's going to change our brain. But it's like two different, totally different parts of your brain. Your prefrontal cortex, the more evolved, like later developed part of your brain might think that's silly. George or Barbara doesn't care what I spend. But that's not the part of you doing this. The part of you doing this is your primitive brain that's like afraid of any disconnection or getting in trouble or whatever else. So, you know, this is where I think a lot of like even talk therapy or coaching can sometimes fail is like you have insight, but and then you're like, oh, that's silly. I'll try not to believe that, I guess. And you like what that you don't know how to do that. You can't stop thinking a thought. So you really have to figure out what are we trying to believe instead? And then how do we work piece by piece towards that? Because this is like a lot of people have heard of, you know, I don't know, like affirmations or positive thinking. And that shit doesn't work. I, can I can I swear on this podcast? Sorry, I forgot oh, to ask. Oh, yes. Go for it. This, that shit doesn't work either because it's too far and your brain doesn't believe it. I can say to my brain, the lizard people are coming, but I don't believe it. So that doesn't do anything emotional for me. So if you currently think I'm bad with money and I spend too much of it and I'm bad and I'm going to get in trouble, telling yourself like I'm a financial genius is not going to do anything and you don't believe it. And you don't believe you're good with money. You're not anywhere near there yet. So you really have to practice something. And I, in the book, I, I walk you through how to come up with your own versions of these. But it's like what I call a ladder thought or a neutral thought. It's like a little bitty thought. It's like maybe buying a sweater doesn't determine if I'm good or bad for, with money my whole life, right? Mm, or like what yeah, is okay. like right. – in the book, I talk about the um, your 10% less shitty thought. It's like we just want it to be 10% less self-critical. That's what we're going for. Right. And so then you can have that thought that is just, it's a little bit of a reach, but we're not, you know, yeah. we're not reaching for the moon. And then I would imagine, right, like the ladder, you start then stacking thoughts. Yeah. You got to practice. That, that starts changing. Yeah. You have to practice a lot. There's another misconception. It's like people, I, I hear so often that like people come to coaching or to work with me and they're like, well, I just want to stop thinking this. And I'm like, I, nobody knows how to do that. We're not, you can't tell your brain to stop thinking a thought because also then your brain that has to go so check nice. to see if it's thinking the thought to see if it is like that doesn't work. You have to, it's like with a toddler, you just got to like redirect, right? So we have to like practice that new thought. And then just as you say, exactly, like over time, you can move up. And the beauty of it is when you learn how to, this is what I call self-coaching, when you learn how to coach yourself and change your thinking your brain is learning, you're doing it in this instance, like about buying the sweater, but your brain is also learning how to do this just as a skill. And over time, it gets easier and easier to change your thoughts because your brain has learned how to do thought change on its own, which is like the most beautiful feeling. The first time your brain coaches itself and you are just like, 
oh my God, I didn't even have to try to reframe that or anything. You just came up with that yourself and I believe it. Amazing. Like that is that's, brilliant. That's the best. Right. <laughs> I love that. You know, t- talking about your book, um, you you say, I'm quoting you here, you say, as, as women, we're often faced with these ingrained, you know, kind of money mindsets to get us stuck in the patriarchal ideas that we've been taught a little bit about, yeah. like my story of my mom and, hi- you know, hiding things. And you say many of us end up, you know, falling into a self-fulfilling prophecy based on how we've been conditioned. And I think a lot of people would relate to these things, right? I'll, I'll never be good enough with money. And, uh, you know, I don't deserve this much money, mm. which is, uh, you know, something that I think, you know, we we out here and we're shouting about like knowing our worth. And but, you know, if if intrinsically inside of us, we believe that we don't deserve this much money. Right. Those two things yeah. don't correlate. And, you know, I, I think th- there's a lot of we could talk about scarcity as well. You know, the whole we talk about financial system, the whole yeah. financial system was based on scarcity. That is the message yeah. that is put out there. So when everyone anyone says to me, you know, I have these scarcity feelings, I'm like, well, of course you do. Right. Totally. We all have these scarcity feelings. Um you know, another one you talk about is this, I don't deserve this much money, which definitely rings true for me. What is up with this? Like, what is up with these messages that just get stuck inside of us, especially as women? I think there's like so many levels to this conversation. So I think the the deserving one is really interesting because number one, I think it's gendered. You don't hear as many men be like, I just don't deserve to succeed or I don't deserve this much money, right? So I think in general, women are taught and these are, I am painting with a broad brush, right? Obviously, there are many men who experience some of the same thought patterns that women do. And, you know, this is generalization. But we're talking about society does generalize. Society is like, there's only two genders, and this is what they are, and here's how you're supposed to be. So society's generalizing, and we're absorbing that. So I think that in general, the message that society gives men is like, you just get to exist because you exist. And that's a good enough reason to exist. And what women get is it's you're only allowed to exist if you have done enough for other people and been virtuous enough, essentially. Like if you've been like humble enough and meek enough and made yourself small enough and not been a burden or had any needs or wanted anything from anybody else and devoted yourself to a life of service. And again, these are things that we might say on the surface we don't think we believe, but I just dare you to go look at how you're making your decisions, how you're spending your time, how guilty you feel if you say no to something someone asks you to do, if you don't want to play with your kid because you want to like sit down for a minute, if you say if you don't want to go to the potluck, if you don't want like just look at how you feel and you'll see that that programming's in there. So number one, I think women just start out with this question of like, do I ever deserve to be happy or rest or have anything good in a way that I don't think men do? I think there's like a religious element to it. You don't have to be religious, but our society is, you know, was founded by a bunch of Christian men. And a lot of the kind of Christian values are imbued in it in a way that we don't recognize as being specifically religious, unless like me, you're a member of a minority religion. And then you're like, hmm, I don't know, that actually seems pretty specific to you guys. That's not what my religion teaches. And so the idea that money is, you know, I think there's different kind of um, themes in Christianity around money, obviously. So there is one historical theme of like money's bad and corrupting. And so a women feel that like, I shouldn't have money, money's bad, I shouldn't care about it. But then also there's the sort of like, um, what is the name for it? The prosperity gospel of like, money is a reward for being good and doing good and like God's favor. So, I mean, I think that's where we get the idea at all that money 
is about deserving or reward as opposed to it's a resource like anything else that people can use for good or evil, right? I mean, good or evil are obviously subjective, but it just like a ha- it's like a hammer can build a house or it can murder someone. Money can be used in ways that really align with your values and money can be used in ways that really don't align with your values. And none of that has anything to do with quote unquote deserving it. Yeah, it was interesting. I was talking to a friend the other day and the way she was talking about money and her partner, I was, I I had to stop her like full stop. And I'm like, you know, money isn't a descriptor word. Like when we're describing a person, we're not saying, you know, oh, they're six foot tall and they have brown hair. And like money is not a word to describe them. Like money is a mm-hmm. tool, just like what you're saying. You know, it's it's something that we right. use, can, you know, exchange value with. But um, I think it's interesting how we've let this concept of money have so much value and you know, so many negative emotions really, uh, you know, at- attached to essentially like a piece of paper is essentially, you know, what we're talking about. And, you know, I'm thinking like, is, is this one of the key reasons that like so many of us women just feel anxious and burnout and kind of stuck in life? And, you know, I can't figure out kind of how to like change the matrix around. Like, is it that we're... um Gosh, we're just like we're so focused on on money that it it becomes like the thing that that is leading all this anxiety, burnout, and whatever. Mm. Well, I mean, I think women are anxious and burned out overall because society teaches them that they're never good enough <laughs> and they should never rest or do anything for themselves. So that's a recipe for burnout. I do think that women, um, in general, are you know tend to under earn or under invest or under kind of build wealth because of that socialization and because we get very specific socialization that women are bad with money, quote unquote, right? I mean, if you think about it historically, one of the things that I um, talk about in my chapter on money in the book, and I talk about a lot in my coaching is like the historical context, which is really important for understanding what we learn from society, which is this is the big this big piece that I felt like was missing when I became a coach from the coaching industry. Like, It wasn't until 1974 that in every state in the U.S., a woman had the right to have a bank account and a credit card with no male guarantor on it, right? So that means before that point, there were still states where if you wanted to open a credit card, a man had to come and promise he would pay your debts if you defaulted on them. Which is crazy. There are people listening to the podcast who were alive and had credit cards then. Like, that's so recent in the history of our society, I mean, it's it's recent even just for America, but American society is part of Western society. We were talking about thousands of years. So, of course, we still have social programming that women are bad with money. We had to have like that was the entire rationale for not giving women economic rights was like, well, they can't be out there with checkbooks on their own. They can't be trusted to crazy, do that. Right? Wild. They're but running women wild. Are, yeah. Women are feeble-minded. They can't understand. They can't do math. They can't understand finance. Like This sounds ridiculous to us, but these were very common publicly held sentiments until very recently in our history. So that shit doesn't disappear overnight just because now we can all get a credit card. Like It's in our culture and our society. When you look at you know, their studies of finance articles, and the articles for men are about investing and building wealth. And the articles aimed at women are about budgeting and being thrifty. Women are socialized to believe somebody else decides how much money you get. It's probably a man. And you like make do because that is what most women's history was. It was like 
somebody gives you some money, the man makes a wage, he gives you a little money for the household. And then like being a good with money for a woman is like, how, how well can you budget that? How thrifty can you be in the household? So we don't think of ourselves as people who can, even though the stats show that women are better investors than men, right? Like we actually get better returns. This is not how we think about ourselves. And I think that leads to, yeah, a lot of like overwhelm and freeze around money of just like, ah, I don't know. I can't deal with it. So I, my husband deals with it or I hired a financial advisor who's a man and he did like the number of dumb, dumb financial advisors who are men who have tried to give me advice in my life, like who you can tell they are just used to everybody being like, oh my God, well, you're a man. So you probably know what you're talking about. And I am like, yeah, (laughs) you are nonsense. What are you saying? But that is so common. We avoid or we think of, I mean, if you ask a woman what she thinks it means to be good with money, she'll usually tell you it means being thrifty, Mm. being like a good saver, right? Which is like, newsflash, that is not the only way of quote unquote being good with money. That's a made up term. But like, I think if you ask a man what it means to be good with money, he's probably like, I make a lot and I invest it and I grow it. And women are like, it means I don't buy the sweater. That's how I know I'm good with money. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. I wanted to update my summer workout wardrobe for the long haul without, you know, spending a fortune. Luckily, I found Quince and I am in love. Quince is your go-to place from everything from premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30, washable silk tops, timeless, 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. The best part of all, all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes those savings on to you. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. I love that. Okay, I bought the dreamiest pair of workout leggings and a bright pink workout top to match. Honestly, ladies, I gotta tell you, these leggings you need. The price cannot be beat, and I feel like a million bucks wearing this cozy workout friendly outfit. I've worn it for like five days straight. Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash etm for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's q-u-i-n-c-e dot com slash etm to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash etm. Okay, listen, like many of you out there, I love Notion, our sponsor today, and I honestly use it every day for my notes and journaling. I also track our family expenses, and I manage all of our household to-dos. Notion has been such a lifesaver in helping me get a lot more organized because that's not one of my strengths without stressing me out. Notion is a place where any team can write, plan, organize, and rediscover the joy of play. It's a workspace designed not just for making progress, but getting inspired. Notion is the AI-powered workspace that can summarize things like meeting notes and automatically generate action items and help you get answers to questions in seconds. It will honestly blow your mind. Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company, you're a freelancer, you're starting a startup or you're a student juggling classes and clubs, or you're somebody like myself that just 
really wants to get organized. Try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash etm. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash etm, and start turning ideas into action. And when you use our link, you are supporting our show, notion.com slash etm. Okay, friend, I want to know, what are your money goals this year? Are you saving to buy a house or maybe a wedding or a dream vacation to somewhere tropical? If that's you, please, please take me with you. Or maybe you want to just grow your emergency fund because, let's be real, life is expensive. I want to make sure you reach your goals, so you need Monarch. That's why the Wall Street Journal named it the best app for growing your savings. Monarch is the top-rated, all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You can create custom budgets, track progress towards your financial goals, and collaborate with your partner. And now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. Here's what I love. Monarch is the most customizable budgeting app. You can change the layout of your dashboard. You can go between light and dark mode. You can create custom budgets and notifications. You can set up all of these automatic rules for your transactions and notifications and so much more. Monarch is obsessed with constantly improving their product. Get this. They release updates every two weeks, and they even allow customers to submit suggestions, vote on requested features, and view the product roadmap. This, my friend, is totally original. Plus, they will never sell your data to third party or show you ads. I think that's really important. After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it is the top-rated personal finance app. And now, listeners of this show get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash etm. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash etm for your extended 30-day free trial. All right, Cara, it's time to play Your Relationship with Money is Game. So first question, if you had to describe your relationship with money as a cartoon character, who would it be? Okay. I did not have a TV growing up, so this is going to be, I don't know that I can answer this one. I don't really know any cartoon characters. Can we do like a Jane Austen Sure, yeah, go for it. (laughs) I love adaptions of the questions too. I feel like, um, I'm like Elizabeth Bennett. I feel like my relationship with money is like, I know it's worth, I'm willing to wait, you know, to kind of create it the way that I want. Uh, and just just sort of no nonsense, maybe. It's like telling the truth and no nonsense. Question number two, how many times a day would you say you think about money? Oh, God. Well, I'm an entrepreneur and I run a business and I have 12 employees I have to support and I support my partner and our stepkids. So I mean, constantly, I think about money all the time, but in a good way. I mean, not in a, you know, I like thinking about money. So that's a positive. All right. Number three, if you had an endless supply of money, where would be the first place you would spend it? I think about this question a lot because I think about it when I'm thinking about like goals for the business, you know, like, okay, if I doubled the business next year, like then what? If I was making eight figures or nine figures, like what would be different? There like isn't really a place that I'm like, oh, I have to buy that thing or I have, you know, like I don't, I know so deep in my bones that money doesn't cause your feelings. Of course, if I all of a sudden had unlimited money, I'm sure I would draw up a like, here's all the causes I want to contribute to and like, hey, do we want a chateau in France? Let's go get one. But there 
isn't a like, oh my God, I just know if I have that thing, I'll finally be happy. So it's the first thing I would do because I know that your thoughts are what cause your feelings and it's not money that does it. All right. Last question. What is one money secret you have that maybe you haven't shared with a lot of people? Well, if you listen to my podcast, it's pretty clear I have no secrets. It's like all out there. Um, You can tell I'm really bad at one word answers too. Um, Here's what I'll say. I don't have a secret now, but it felt like a really big secret to me when I decided that money wasn't inherently bad because I came from like the social justice world and I grew up with a lot of mixed family messages around money. and. It did feel a little bit like coming out with a shameful secret when I – it turned out you. it's very hard to be an entrepreneur and think that money is bad and that people who want to make money are bad. That's just a real mind fuck. So I really had to change that. And that felt a little bit like being like, I don't know if I should say this, but I think maybe money's not inherently evil. That felt like a secret at the time. I'm going to be real with you. Identity theft is on the rise, and you do not want to wake up one morning and discover that your bank account has been emptied, or you're overdue on credit cards you never even applied for. We talk about this often on the podcast, but you don't realize how much of your information is available to scammers on the internet and how susceptible you and your family are to identity theft and fraud. I know, it's scary, but now you can get your data removed with Delete Me. That's why I personally choose Delete Me. DeleteMe is a subscription service that removes your personal information from the largest people search databases on the web, and in the process helps prevent potential ID theft, doxing, and phishing scams. I just started using DeleteMe and I got my regular personalized privacy report. (laughs) I was shocked what they found and removed. It was pages of information about me that I did not want online. Here's how it works. You sign up and provide Delete Me with exactly what information you want deleted, and their experts take it from there. I cannot tell you how relieved I felt to have Delete Me. And you know, it's also a great service for your parents or grandparents to help protect them from identity theft. Delete Me is not just a one-time service. Delete Me is always working for you, constantly monitoring and removing the personal information you do not want on the internet. Take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me, now at a special price for my listeners. Today, get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and use promo code etm at checkout. The only way you get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash etm and enter code etm at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash E-T-M. Go to joindeleteme.com slash E-T-M and use code E-T-M for 20% off. In those moments when money is just not moving as fast as your dreams, Earnit provides the financial momentum you need to keep moving forward. Earnit is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. You just download the Earnin app and verify your paycheck. Then you access up to $100 a day as you work and you can leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. I honestly would use Earnin in lots of different ways, but what's on my mind recently is I need a night out. I need some good tacos to sip on a few virgin margaritas and celebrate you all helping this podcast earn 26 million downloads. 
Make Earnin a part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security. Gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earnin today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Talkin' Money under podcast when you sign up. It will really help the show. Talkin' Money under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When I was um, working as a financial planner, I worked with my dad and, um, you know, we would work with clients who had, I mean, just so much money. It was ridiculous. And I would usually create the financial plan and we'd go into the meeting of, um, you know, the office of this really wealthy, you know, man. And, um, you know, he would only look at my dad. And my dad would be like, um, she's actually the one who created the financial plan. So she's actually going to be the one that walks you through it. And I mean, so time after time after time, it was like an epiphany. Like, how could this woman child, you know, <laughs> how, could, <laughs> how could this feeble minded being have created a financial plan? You know, and, and, and credit to my dad, who is just you know, probably yeah. like my my biggest supporter was like, no, no, like you you did this, right. you and got this, you know. But it's, it's crazy. still out there. I went percent. to a meeting with I went to a meeting with my mother's tax attorneys. So at like about her, you know, whatever her whole situation. And this guy is like, I don't know, what is he sixty, sixty five? He's not one hundred and thirty. Like he's young enough that he should, right? And he was talking to me, and he was like, well, you know. The important, I have to remember to get this right. It's like, he was like, you know, it's important. Oh, that's right. He was like, it's important, you know, that you get a, and listen, I'm all for prenups. So this is not a diss against prenups at all, but just from this, the way he was thinking about it, he was like, it'll be really important. You know, you need, you'll need to get a prenup because like, you know, what if your husband decides he wants to like start a business and he wants to use all your money? And I was like, excuse me, I am the business owner here. I am the one who makes the money. Like, what the fuck are these assumptions embedded in the way you're talking about this? That like, Number one, I'm right. Like somebody's like all the money I might have is something somebody else would give to me. And then I need to like protect it because obviously my like entrepreneur husband would be my partner was like, I'm retired. I'm a house husband. She makes all the money. Like, you know, we travel. It's like always the same thing. The people like give shit to him. And he's like, she's the money. (laughs) I'm just the valet. Like he's like, don't. Don't look at me. But I hear that all the time from like I, you know, I'm obviously I'm a I am in a circle of women coaches and entrepreneurs who make seven, eight figures. And it's like it's always the same fucking thing. All their husbands are retired. They've retired all their husbands. Anytime they go anywhere, people are talking to the men. So how do I mean, like, how do we how do we change this? I mean, I'm I, you know, we don't have any like magic solution, but I'm just curious. No, but how I mean, do we totally. change it for, you know, for our daughters and for like future generations? Well, this is why I think we have to change the way we think and what we think is possible. So, you know, for instance, 
studies used to show that women didn't negotiate as much, didn't ask for raises as much in employment, et cetera. A new study came out a few months ago that shows that they actually do, but they don't get the results as often, right? So there's both our own mindset and then there is systemic sexism and discrimination in the world. And that's there and we need to be working on changing that. And it's our brains that are going to change the world. Like we have to have the confidence and the belief that there's a better world to say like, I went, I asked, I negotiated when they said no, I walked away, I went somewhere else. I'm willing to apply to 10 jobs, right? Especially those of us who can financially do that. So to me, a lot of what's empowering about this work is like you empower yourself, then you got to deal with the world. And sometimes the world's not going to respond favorably to that. But when you feel empowered and you believe in possibility, you're willing to keep going. You don't just the minute you get a no, be like, okay, well, I knew that wouldn't work and there wasn't any point. And so I'm not going to try again. Right. I mean, I coach people all the time where they'll be like, yeah, but then my boss said no. And then I'm like, and are you chained to the radiator? Like you have a highly marketable job. What are you right? Like, let's apply for another job then if this is important to you. Like, let's, what are our options? But that is, again, that socialization. Women are socialized to like let life happen to them and to wait to be given opportunity. Like we're just supposed to like keep our heads down and work hard and then somebody will come along and reward us. And we really have to take charge of our own lives. So let's go back just a couple of steps when we're talking about this, this ladder to kind of our new thinking with our brain. Yeah. So let's say we practice this and like we've done it a few times and like, okay, you know, sort of get the hang of it. How do we then create, I'm almost thinking it's like, it's like moments of pause, right? Because our thoughts are just so automatic and then our thoughts influence our feelings and it's a whole kind of cascade. Yeah. How do we practice the art of like pausing to even examine like, okay, is this, is this a thought that's like going to be helpful for me? Or is this a thought that is my old sort of way of thinking about things? Well, when you're trying to create a new thought, you have to practice it a lot. It's not like three times. It's like you need to put it on post-it notes around your house and make it your computer password and set your phone to remind you to think it and make a little song out of it. The human brain learns things like 20 times faster through music than without music. Really? So if you're musical, yeah, make yourself a little. I could be wrong on 20. It could be 10. It could be 30. It's like so. It it's doesn't a lot, matter. Though. That's it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you use your make a little song. But think about the things we teach kids in songs. It's like, you know, we use those for a reason. That's how humans, I mean, if you think about the evolution of the human brain, there were millennia before written writing or when written writing wasn't accessible to most people where we communicated information through songs and through like oral traditions and chants. So that's how your brain works. Um, So you have to practice it a lot. In terms of that sort of pause, I mean, I think there's two things. One is like setting up a daily, you know, or semi day, most days, everybody, everybody listens to my podcast is a huge perfectionist. So if you see daily, it's like, well, then I have to do it every day for the rest of my life. Most days, some days, sometimes setting aside time to really go through the process. So, you know, in the book I lay out, like you do a thought download and then you pick a thought. And then, so having some time to practice it, just like if you were trying to learn piano or something. But the other one is, to me, it's sort of less about like creating a pause. And it's more about just, um, like understanding and being willing to be on the journey that it takes a little a minute to change a thought. So the way I often describe it is like, if you're trying to change a habit, let's say that like you have a habit of yelling at your kids and you do the work to, or let's say you have, a, let's keep it money. You have a habit of like impulse, impulse shopping, right? When you feel bad about yourself or like you just want some dopamine, you're like, what, what's happening at J Crew? So you want to create awareness around that. 
So the first step is you do that kind of excavation of like, what's happening when I do this? What's my thought? Like, what's the motivation? And then you just need to understand that as you're practicing changing the thought, at first, you will still not know you're doing it till it's over. But at least this time, then you'll be like, oh, I just did that thing. Okay, let me look at it. And then so that's like phase one. And then phase two is like, you sort of notice it while it's happening, but you can't stop yet. Or you don't want to stop yet. And so you just watch yourself being like, oh, look at me feeling bad about my thighs and going to J. Crew. Okay. But you're practicing self compassion is a big part of this the whole way. And then eventually, phase three is your phase three is you're able, you notice it halfway and you can stop, like before you click buy. And phase four is you just stop doing it. But it's, it's that like process of change and of developing awareness. And this is why. Like throughout the book, I talk about the importance of self-compassion, which is not something that women are very good at giving themselves because the whole reason we're in such a rush to like change everything immediately last night, we need to be better, is because we are shaming ourselves so much. And it's just such a cycle. I coach people all the time who are like in so much debt and they're making it worse and worse because their thought is basically, I can't feel okay until I'm out of debt altogether and that seems impossible. So I'm just like, fuck it, I give up right? They're not even necessarily consciously thinking that, but that's how they're behaving, right? It's like, well, making a little bit of progress doesn't matter. It's not worth it. It doesn't feel like anything. I still am mean to myself. So I just fall off the wagon over and over again on these habits. So self-compassion and being willing to, like, if you have a goal and you only do it half the time, the difference between saying to yourself, oh yeah, you did it half the time this week. Like last week, you didn't do it at all. That's awesome. Or versus saying you only did it half the time, you're never going to get this. You're so behind. You already screwed up. That's the difference between success and failure, right there. Oh, I love that. That's so great. I mean, that's definitely like a post-it note right on the wall. Uh, <laughs> and you, you you have so many great podcast episodes. Uh, I, I know the book is going to be just amazing. Like, what led you to do this work to help people unfuck their brains? Uh, you know, the normal, as I call Ivy League to life coach pipeline. Uh, I was a, (laughs) I was a reproductive rights litigator, as one does. Uh, I had a very like traditional prestigious kind of career. I went to Yale, I went to Harvard Law School, I clerked on a federal appeals court, and then I had a reproductive rights fellowship, and then I was an academic. So I was my last job before becoming an entrepreneur was running a think tank at Columbia Law School. Um, And I just had that experience that a lot of people have of like, okay, I've achieved the thing that was supposed to make me feel differently and I, it's not working. Like, well, I got into one of the best law schools in the country and I still don't feel what feel smart, whatever that means, right? Like I got this clerkship and I still don't feel good enough. I got the one fellowship in the country in my field when I, the year I finished clerking and I still feel inadequate. So like eventually after a while, I think I just started to be like, something's not right here. (laughs) Like this is not what I was promised. And I had always been into psychology and really philosophy. I mean, to me, coaching self-development work is practical philosophy. It's just because women do it. It's like self-help and cute and silly, right? When men ask, what's the meaning of life and how do I be a good person? That's like you get an endowed professorship at a university. So I was always, you know, if you look at my like high school yearbook, my senior page is like the same shit I'm talking about now, basically. It's like, how do we become who we are? What is the good life? How do we live it? Um, but I think the bridge between those that career and, and that was finding 
Um, because like many women, I had a lot of terrible thoughts about myself. I was always trying like yoga and meditation and therapy and like always trying to improve myself. And I found this form of coaching that I teach or, or kind of, you know, a version of it without the feminism. <laughs> and I used it on myself and I just, I mean, nobody had ever told me before I was 30 years old that not all your thoughts are true. And that, I mean, of course I knew conceptually, but like really that like on a daily basis, a lot of my very obvious thoughts that seemed true were not true. And that my thoughts were why I felt the way I did and that I could change them. So when I learned that, I was just like, what the fuck? This is like the secret to life. Why does everybody not know this? And then I sort of, because of my background, started to see like, oh, there's this big piece missing in the coaching field as a whole. Like nobody's talking about socialization, the way women are particularly taught to think. And then that's what, you know, then I quit my job and became a life coach on the internet as one does. <laughs> I love that journey. I love every journey that is, that is definitely a, you know, windy road. That's certainly the the journey I've this taken. This was a like straight road and then like jump off a cliff. Right. <laughs> you know, it was sort of like, it was like I tried 10 things. It was like, we're going this way. And then like last minute, we got the last exit before the bridge right. and just like went a totally different direction. <laughs> You know, and, and as you're talking, I'm I'm also wondering your thoughts on this. Uh, you know, I think that I'm really interested in this idea of authenticity and and how we can show up and be as close to the version of ourselves that we want to be. That I feel like there's always kind of something that's going to get in the way a little bit of that. But I see, um, you know, money really being something that that stops people from living an authentic life. Like it, it gets in the way of of chasing after your dreams, of of doing the things you want to do. And so I'm thinking like how powerful this idea of, it, it, this idea of, you know, our, our, that we can change our thoughts, right? And and how that might then lead us to being more authentically who we are because we don't have all the garbage in there just kind of, you know, um, complicating things. Yeah. I mean, I think this is one of those a perfect example of one of the questions that's like philosophy when men in academia ask it, which is like, what is authenticity and what is the self? Like, what is your personality? Is it inherent to you? Is it socially constructed? Is it just the sum total of your thoughts and feelings? Like, and to me, I think, you know, we're never, because I attract a lot of perfectionists, it's sort of like people come in, they're like, okay, I'm going to get all the socialization out of my brain. And I'm like, well, socialization is also how you know to like not pee in the middle of the living room. Like we're not going to get rid of all socialization and that's impossible, right? Like, so I just made the decision to get married and I can't say that I'd somehow like did that without any influence of the socialization around marriage on me. Like, of course. So I think it's about, to me, it's about Maybe the, the way that I talk about it is like coming, bringing your life into alignment with your values because your values are something that you can choose for yourself, right? And those are kind of the, and I think they tend to align with sort of the deep strains of your authentic self or personality, whatever those are. When you look back at your life, it's like, oh, I've always been drawn to like the most beautiful and expensive thing in a store. Like I've always wanted everything to look really, you know, it's like I have a concern for aesthetics that I can look back at my whole life. Where that came from, who knows? But like, that's a value of mine. You know, I've always like my letters from friends in high school are about like, your mouth just opens and the truth comes out. <laughs> like I have always been somebody who's like, you can call it blunt, you can call it truth telling, you can call it authentic or transparent, whatever. That's clearly been a through line through my life. So it's like, what are my values? And I think the way we use thought work is like all the, both to kind of get in touch with that, because a lot of women have never been encouraged to think about like, 
what are your values? Because society is like, your value is to help other people and never think about yourself. That's what you're supposed to be doing. So claiming our own values is most women have never done that. And then I think it helps us undo the, the socialization that gets in the way. So if you do have a value that's like adventure and exploration and you want to live that dream, you're like, I want to sell all my belongings and move to Turks and Caicos and start a surf. I whatever. I don't know if they surf in Turks and Caicos. I don't surf. Like whatever it is, I want to like move to Paris and be a CEO or I want to like have a goat farm in Vermont, like whatever that thing is you want to do. The socialization is what prevents you with the thoughts like you can't do that. Everyone would think it's weird and you'd be a bad daughter if you left your mother here and who's going to take care of her when she's old and your kids aren't going to want to do that. And like, you can't ask people to do that. And that's what is your college roommate going to think? Like all of that is the socialization that gets in the way, I think, of that, whether it's your authentic self, living according to your values, whatever it is, that socialization is what holds you back. All right. So we want to take back our brains. We definitely want to do that. Like we've, we've established this, right? Yes. And, and we're on board with the mission. And, and this year, like this year, we're going to do it. 2024 is, is the year to take back our brains. And, you know, specifically, we're going to unfuck our, unfuck our money. We're going to take back, you know, mm-hmm. our thoughts around money. So leave us with something like, like some actionable advice or so, something to just remember when we're on this journey and, you know, I think especially when it gets rough, when the thoughts just keep coming in and we we, yeah. we can't silence them. Okay. So I'm going to give you one practical thing, which is go pre-order the book, which is at Take Back Your Brain. Is that right? TakeBackYourBrainBook.com. You actually can get the first chapter in the introduction as a, like a digital download starting January 15th. If you pre-order before that, you'll get it sent to you. So you can really get started right away before the book comes out. And there's a lot of amazing bonuses we're doing, like different teachings, different deep dives on different topics. That's all at TakeBackYourBrainBook.com. The thing I would say for the moment when all of those thoughts are coming and like you're just in this the sort of maelstrom of thoughts... I actually like to use a thought that really isn't about money or anything else that I, um, I've seen attributed to a lot of different people. It seems to have come from a yoga teacher named Judith Lassiter. But it's basically the thought is how human of me, right? Women are always holding themselves to these like impossible standards that no human can meet and basically criticizing themselves for ever having a human feeling or weakness. And the thought, so it's like when you are having a million thoughts, how human of me, whatever you're criticizing yourself about, how human of me. The experience of being overwhelmed by your thoughts. How human of me. You forgot to practice the thought you were trying to practice. How human of me. It just is like a basically shortcut to self-compassion. And curiosity and self-compassion are where all the rest of the work we've been talking about have to come from. So that's my that's my one-line takeaway. If you have never done thought work before, I highly recommend it. Cara's approach to this idea of helping you think a 10% less shitty money thought is really a personal favorite of mine and something that I have been working on myself and been helping a lot of people in my circle because our thoughts around money, they are really shitty. And so when you realize that your thoughts do control how you think, act, and feel about money, it's it's crazy. The magic is to finally make progress on your money goals by thinking better thoughts. And I promise you, it's also going to help you stress less and live more because I know it feels like it, but money is not meant to control your life. It is not meant to be everything in your life. You can check out Cara's podcast, Unfuck Your Brain, on any podcast player. And you can also head to takebackyourbrainbook.com if you want to pre-order her book that will be coming out a little later this year. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. 
Listen, I've got some great resources in the show notes. If you're looking for some more great money content, some things to help you on this thought journey. And if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend and help them, you know, come into this whole idea of like, hey, let's all think less shitty thoughts when it comes to money. Thanks so much for all of my sponsors. You can find links and all of those sponsors mentioned in this episode right in my show notes. And I will see you back here in a few days for a brand new episode. (music) 